episode 20. Mm -hmm. Yay, I get the episode number right. Um, This is a podcast where we mercilessly interrogate films previously described by other wanderers in the desert as masterpieces. I am I'm Nick, and I am joined as ever by the regretful Roger. Hello. And this evening we are extremely lucky to have with us a philosopher, a philosopher of film no less we have with us mary ann johansson of the flick philosopher website um that's philosopher with an f um uh, mary ann yeah. is an extremely prolific uh, respected talented critic and author uh, with a website full of uh, lots of interesting facts reviews snippets and audience participation on films i have i've been quietly lurking on the website i'm 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 blushing thank you for that lovely intro i i I have i've been a a fan for some years and then you moved to england and we actually got to meet so yeah you've been yeah you've been around for quite a while (laughs) almost as long as i've been there 20 it'll be 25 years next year yeah which is like on the internet that's prehistoric i don't know if we were the first um Online only film critic, but certainly one of the first. I wasn't the first, but I was. Yeah, I was close to the first. Certainly, See, I, I am comfortable calling myself a pioneer of online film criticism. That's a good one. I, I didn't yeah. want to say like one of the oldest websites. That doesn't make it is one of the sense. oldest websites. One of the, well, my we website is older than Google. So, <laughs> goodness me, remember the times before Google? Yeah. Um, well, tonight we three are joined to um, don our sun cream and desperately try and remember our past sins and then desperately try and forget them again as soon as possible as we interrogate Wim, Ven- Wim Vendor's 1984 film Paris, Texas. I've done a little comedic pause there as a nod to the film. That may be the only <laughs> comedic <laughs> things we get out of Paris, Texas. A, a, um, a film which does not take place at any point in Paris, Texas. No. There's no. A fo- there's a photograph of it. Mm-hmm. And even even the joke about Paris, Texas is more sort of melancholy and sad than anything else. It is. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a brief moment of light <laughs> in the film. Um, this, for some reason, this is our third film in a row set in, or at least partially in, Texas after The Right Stuff and um, Local Hero, which were our last two films. Um, this, uh, I don't know if we want to do a, a brief summary. I mean, the the... the introduction to the film would be a uh, a man walks out of the Mojave Desert after being missing for four years and presumed dead. I, um, I've got to admit, I could watch Harry Dean Stanton walking through the desert for three hours and I would be happy. <laughs> it, yeah, he, it's just beautiful. It is beautiful. Well, one of the things that attracted me to this film was Harry Dean Stanton. And I knew it was sort of a mystery film. I didn't really know anything about it and tried to remain otherwise cold before I went into it um, and mostly managed that but yeah I, Harry Dean Stanton was a big attraction for me um, who I've mainly known uh, frankly because I'm a, an awful geek type person mainly known from Alien previously um, <laughs> but he was very good in that and he's um, extremely good here extremely watchable perhaps I should say yeah yeah he is terrific it's very a very expressive face, which really serves him very well early in the film when he doesn't speak at all. He is he's near mm. mute for yeah. I don't know half the film, certainly the first hour. He says yeah, almost nothing, and then then he uh, gets to the point where he does a, a five minute monologue by the end of it. So he right at the end of the film, he doesn't shut up. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah, even but, but when I, you I wish do, he would. I do rather like that as a recovery. I mean, he's starting out. He's obviously been in a pretty strange mental place. And yes. gradually, you know, he's gradually coming back to civilization, or at least Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a rough approximation. Mm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I I don't know how best to approach it. I will say, I my broad impression with the film was I liked it very much until I didn't. I mean, <laughs> I guess that was my journey with the film. I thought it was beautiful. I mean, I, we've just come through 
the the right stuff, which is full of artfully shot Mojave Desert. Um, and we have another film which is even more beautiful, I would say, than this. It's, it's, it's to me, cinematographically, which is a word. <laughs> It's 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 beautiful. Yeah, um, I, I I don't know whether that's uh, Vendors or Miller or a combination of them, but there is definitely a sense of we are in love with this landscape. Yes, so. yes, definitely, and I would say that even extends to some of the shots of Los Angeles. I mean, the, 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 view, the view from the brother's house, the brother played by Dean Stockwell, of looking over. I mean, who who would have thought that a view of the freeway and the airport could be beautiful? But it is. It's, it's breathtaking, mm. isn't yeah, it? it? And really then you remember is. what you're looking at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's um, yeah, it's it's really nicely played, and and even you know the character. I'd say Harry Dan- Dean Stanton's very watchful. Dean Stockwell, whom of course I know mostly from Quantum Leap, um, yeah, yeah, uh, is you know very watchable. I mean the the, uh, the acting is uh, I mean a very high standard throughout this film, um, mainly by Harry Dean Stanton, who is chiefly played. Also by um, I quite like we have a child, uh, well not quite protagonist really, um, but we have a child actor, um, Hunter. Who was played by uh, the son of the writer, the screenwriter? Alan, Alan right? Kit Carson. Uh, was, he got co-writing credit with Sam Shepard. Oh yes, of course. That's another connection with the right stuff. In that uh, we had Sam Shepard looking all um, forlorn and extremely um, handsome in the right <laughs> stuff. Um, who actually wrote this play? He did, and it does feel like a play in some places even though it has these wide open expanses of landscape because especially the, the the final scenes are very intimate and close and go on forever and they're as you say they're monologues but quite interesting yes it, well in fact it reminded me the other film that this reminded me of was badlands which was which is a um it's it's set in this huge beautiful environment but it's a very intimate story um it's it's got slightly more violence in it, I, I guess, um, than Paris, <laughs> Texas. Um, but it's the same sort of style. In fact, I, I preferred the, for me, the moment to moment of Paris, Texas. I really did enjoy. I it didn't. I mean, this is a three three and a bit hour film, and it, it didn't mm, no, feel like that to me. It's two and a, it's two and a half hours. It, okay, it, it, it didn't happen. feel like a long film. I mean, I've been joking about no. you know no film longer than ninety minutes can really be any good. But this <laughs> is this is an arty slow moving <laughs> moving film that felt genuinely arty and not really that slow moving to me. Yeah, yeah. Movies don't often earn a two and a half hour runtime, but this one does. Hmm. Yes. Agree, and I was I was caught up. Yeah, it did not drag, and I was caught up with the the mystery. And I, but I also didn't feel the mystery of who this man was and where he had gone and what had happened. But I didn't feel I was enjoying it enough that I wasn't like, come on, what's happening? It it, it moved at the right pace for the film. The, the is, feeling I well, got though was, you know, the, the opening shot is here is the mystery. Why is he there? Mm. And really, the the entire film is about answering that it's not mm. here is why and then we'll go on to the next thing i think my major issue with the film is that what the resolution of the mystery is not all that interesting yeah. it's, it's pretty it's pretty familiar and cliche not well not, not cliched in the execution but in the, the backstory of what it eventually is about you're like yeah that's yeah, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. A good, like if someone had said, oh, why did he spend four years in the desert? You might have, yeah, I suppose you could have thought, oh, I suppose he, you know, <laughs> he, it, he it, ran out on his wife. It does, had... yeah, it, it lends this air of tragedy or almost even, I mean, him walking out of the desert, you know, like Jesus did, it airs <laughs> this, this tragic, you know, it elevates him tragically and I'm not sure the character deserves that. And I don't, I, I, you know, I don't, this is not a movie that, you know, like there's not a lot of judgment on the characters in the film for, you know, their no. bad, bad behavior, which is fine, which is good. But there's still a certain judgment that comes from the stories that we choose to tell and the characters that we choose to tell stories this, about. This is the guy we're watching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he, so. well, in a way, I think you just said it very nicely as well. I, I feel, I'm not sure the character deserved Harry Dean Stanton in a way, because he <laughs> gave the character a kind of dignity, a kind of calm and kindness that I'm not sure was ultimately borne out by the character or his actions. Yeah. And, and so I felt, I suppose I said I liked this movie until I didn't, because I felt uh, almost betrayed by it at the end, because I liked the guy. And I, I suppose in some ways that's what you're supposed to do. 
but there was no hint of. As you say, he has this kind of. Well, I mean, it ends up that he. he uh, I was a little confused with the monologue. He says, mm-hmm. you know, he literally chained her to the bed and had a cowbell on her. And was that? Yeah, that was pretty was horrifying. That, yeah. Now I didn't. <laughs> I, it was so kind of out of left field. I wasn't sure if that was a metaphor, whether he was saying, you know, but then he was like, no, the sock fell out of the cowbell. So then I heard you. Uh, yeah, um, so it, I don't. Um, I don't think it was meant as a metaphor. No. And I also so it, I was a little bit bothered by in the end. Um, you know, obviously, how, how much do we spoil on these? Do we presume? Uh, we, we just uh, sorry. We, 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 we occasionally warn people that there will think. be spoilers. Okay, yeah. good. Because so, so we learn that the the wife or the ex wife eventually did leave him with the kid. Yeah. But look where she's ended up. Like her life is not great. So, it, like, what are we supposed to take from that? That that she shouldn't have left him, or oh, I'm not really sure. I mean, maybe that's fine. Maybe we're not supposed to make any presumptions about whether she made the right decision or not. But I, I was kind of like, really? This is... I, I did I, feel I, that, that it was very much dumping on Jane, Nastasia Kinski. Um, you know, e- even when, when we get the version of what happened, he he had problems and, you know, he was quitting jobs and staying with her and going out and getting a new job and whatever. But it really, everything was fine until she got pregnant and got postpartum <laughs> depression. Yeah, um, true. Yeah, yeah. That that was that was the thing that really messed things up. Yeah, he he can just do this. He has the privilege that he can walk out on his (laughs) wife and child and vanish. Well, and that was sort of one of my reasons for thinking like this, like what what he did was not that tragic or unexpected because men do this all the time. Yeah, but not just that. We tell stories about men who do this all the time, so it's not like that unusual a story. It's kind of it's slightly extreme. I mean, we never see any of the implied violence. To, towards no. her, um, which is just described by this man that we've come to quite like, and I yeah. don't, I, I kind of like the turnaround. I mean, you kind of knew it was something, strange. but as, as you say, it's, it's unpleasant, but also kind of banal. And oh yeah, he's yeah. a guy. We could have expected him to do that. Exactly. Um, it would have oh. like if she had been living really well or something. That might have been a nice, a nice touch. But no, she's as miserable pretty much as he is. In that, you know. Well, well I, I, I'd that, like to I, jump back a little because that was really yes. the second thing that grabbed me. The first thing that grabbed me being Harry Dean Stanton is fifty-eight years old and Nastasia Kinski is twenty-four. Well, and, and he and the, his character does specifically say something about how she was seventeen or something when they met, and that's yeah. that's you know, and, and that's not just a that's a huge that's not just a huge age gap. That's she's underage. The, she's the, a child still. The, yeah, I mean, in, in the US in particular, I mean, the, the, there are. I, I am not at all opposed to big age differences in relationships. I'm, I'm, I'm in one that's considered quite a big age difference myself. But there's this. No, that 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 that's gone beyond the creepy zone. That is, what is this guy doing in yeah. his forties, hanging around with a sixteen-year-old? Yeah, again, I, and exa- yeah. again, that was another thing that was like, yeah, this is not I that think surprising. It was well, I think it was well. Played by the actors in the, uh, yeah, they, they do a great job seem... of trying to salvage this. But yeah. it could have been, you know, that whole uh, unpleasantness could have just been, I, I, I don't want to say, um, uh, either just having a slightly older, um, uh, wife or a slightly younger husband. I, uh, I, it, it didn't have to be such an extreme age difference. Mm-hmm. And it did, it is, it's enough that it detracts from, the story it seems to be trying to tell because you're distracted by the age difference and thinking, hang on, if she was 17 then, what does that mean? Well, uh, yeah. And it it just adds a dimension to it that I don't think the film was particularly trying to comment on and is is kind of distracting for the rest of it. Yeah, it it doesn't seem important that he's that much older. I mean, a bit older, sure. He doesn't need to be that much older. I had to say, I wouldn't have thought, you said he was 58 when he made this? Uh, At least when it came out, so 57, I I wouldn't have thought he was quite that old. I thought, I mean, he could easily have passed for more than ten years younger than that. Maybe. Yes, yeah. I, you know. I agree, that, and I suppose that's what I mean. He look, he doesn't look, he doesn't even, look like a. But even if he 40. was, you know, he was forty-five and she's twenty-four, that's still not great. It's um, yeah. eyebrow raising. Isn't it? it is a bit, but it's also for movies, unfortunately, not that unusual. Well, and that's part I bet of the problem. It wouldn't have happened the other way round, would it? <laughs> it, it well, felt exactly. More, felt more egregious to me than usual, but yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. perhaps not but, as sensitive to this. I, I that's see, uh, part of the problem sorry. with these huge age differences in movies is that, yeah, in real life, 
yes, sometimes there are big age gaps, um, but nowhere near as often or as extreme as we see in the movies. And mm. almost always, as you say, with older men and younger women, it's almost never the other way around. I, I did and look up. Harry Dean Stanton was born in 26. Wow. So was Patricia Neal. Wow. We saw in the day the Earth stood still um, wow. several episodes back. She was still that, I, mean, this point, I will but, say that that yeah. dude looks good for his age. Then I mean, yeah. really, does. he does look. He yeah. looks damn good for his age. Yeah, yeah. especially yeah. since we're supposed to. Well, I guess we're supposed to believe that he's lived a really hard life. So he would, if he'd really lived the life that he talked about. He would look a hell of a lot worse at 58. Particularly in the last four years. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Good living down in Mexico, apparently. <laughs> I, I will say in the film's defense, I wonder if they were going for something about, so that the, the job that the, the, the wife is doing of, I guess it's bordering on sex work, you know, having these sort of faux relationships with men for money with the glass between them. Yeah. There is a sort of, you know, and she's in these fantasy situations of it's, you know, it's a diner or it's a pool or a motel. I mean, there's something going on there about uh, the illusion or the pretend that goes on between some men and women in their relationships. I don't know mm -hmm. that it quite got at where it could have gone, but there's something going on there. That is that is about the sort of sort of role playing that people have sometimes. It's, it's, it's because you're trying to figure out what the situation actually is. Maybe it detracts from what it's trying to comment on. But mm -hmm. it's, it's you know it's got. Well, I suppose that was the, my other slight issue with it is that the women in this film are either mothers or quasi sex workers. Yeah, really, or maids. That... There's the maid who oh, helps yes, Harry Dean Stanton how to you know cosplay as a father. <laughs> Yeah. Or the, uh, the lovely. I'm, tr I'm trying to figure out is there something that we should take from the fact that the film makes all these references to Paris and Paris, Texas, and then Dean Stanton's wife is French? Or is that just a factor of it being a European production, I wonder? That's a good because question. They didn't, they yeah. didn't like, really play is that. more sort of there than really participating. Yeah, they don't really play up, you know, any I difference. I think there was something meant about that, but Maybe. yeah. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that was meant to be said in the background here, but it didn't doesn't quite gel. I wasn't watching a lot of, well, particularly arty films when this came out, but it does occur to me that this this is, you know, early to mid-80s, and what I do remember from the time, being, being a teenage boy as I was, uh, is erotic content has suddenly become more or less respectable, as opposed to, you know, the 70s where it is porn films. True. Right. So yeah. people are, people are making jokes about Skinimax. Uh, De Palma's making Dress to Kill and Body Double. The, the erotic thriller is getting started. So I, I wonder if eroticized job might just be well. You know, this is a thing we can do now, which we couldn't have done ten years ago. That could. You be. must have seen a very different version of ET from me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's I have, I still do... moralizing. It's still making it clear she's not having a good time. Yeah. I, I, I did notice <clears throat> and the, it's, the it's very no... first thing he asks when he finds her is. Is she sleeping with the customers? Yeah, she, yeah he's, he's really be, yeah. worried about that. He's, yeah. he's still got that jealousy going on. I do. We think we touched upon it earlier, uh, Marianne, that you said it wasn't really a, a judgmental film, and I, and I agree. The one film that really struck me as again similar was uh, was Badlands, where it, it's kind of this spree killing across. Uh, that wasn't Texas, amazingly. Um, was that North Dakota, um, uh, North or South? Or, uh, but no, anyway. it, that that film very much is like these are some things that happened. I'm not going to, and, and there doesn't feel any kind of directorial intent on how you're supposed to feel about that. It just presents it. I felt Paris, Texas was a little different in in that I felt I felt maybe that's just me. I felt we were supposed to be rooting for him. And we were supposed to feel his ending was cathartic in some way. That's the impression I got. But he, I he's achieved the thing he came out of the desert to achieve. Well, uh, right. But the thing that he's achieved is he's gotten the, the, the mother and the kid back together. So, I mean, that's a fairly selfless sort of achievement i would say yeah so i don't yes. i don't think i don't think we're meant to come out of this film and think like oh god what a great guy he was and i don't think it's excusing anything that he did that's what i mean about not mm. having any judgment because that that often is the case especially yeah. where when you center a character like this it's almost inevitable that we're meant to feel sympathy for sympathy for him and i mean i think maybe we're meant to feel a little bit sympathetic but mm. not to the point with, that where we are blinded to the you know, the, heart, the really terrible things that he's done. I, I couldn't help 
I, I suspect this isn't a reaction I would have had had I been an adult watching it at the time, so fair enough. But I was looking at this situation thinking, okay, he's turned four people's lives upside down. I, I must say, yeah. the ending to me, uh, Hunter, the, uh, he's acknowledged he's lost his mum and dad, and that's a traumatic thing for him, but he is in a stable, loving environment. Um and it's not that he's taken out of there without choice. You know, Harry Dean's tense character doesn't have the decency to ask him whether he wants to come with him or not. And I, I wasn't sure where the film was going, but when it ended up that he has basically reintroduced the mother to her son, even though she she could have done that herself. She well, knew where he that's was. The thing. She she, she's have... not, you know, imprisoned in this job or anything. She has chosen to move to Houston. She has chosen to leave the kid behind. She wasn't yeah. happy about it. And she knew where he was. Yeah. She could yeah. have gone to see him any time, yeah. So he's sort of broken up Hunter's new family as he broke up, uh, uh, you know, it broke up, but he basically destroyed the first family. It felt like he then destroyed another family, and um, I I didn't think he was just going to leave uh, Hunter with his mum and just disappear. Um, and well, I know, I think that's it. You said it was a sort of a selfless act, but to me, it, it felt a bit selfish to me. And then he's going to do yeah. another disappearing act. And I, I'm but rearranging things the way they should be, and now I'm going to go yeah. away again. Right, but it is somewhat open-ended. Hmm. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with um, the Natasha Kinski character and the son. She may just still decide, yeah, it was great to see him, but I can't take care of him. Yeah. And go, yeah. and you know, he might go back to the. Uh, his uncle and his aunt and uncle. It, it is kind of a shame that, although maybe this is the intention, that we never went back to the Dean Stockwell character and his wife again, because obviously they, you know, especially the wife, were completely bereft at having this kid taken away. Yeah, yeah. I so think the last what's time going we've... on with them? Exactly. Yeah, because you're, you're invested in that family. Absolutely. Um, and then yeah. the last time we see them is when uh, the son calls back and says, "Bye, I'm off with me dad." Um, that's it. I don't think they appear in the film again. They I don't. No, they that's... do not. The phone call is the last time we see them. Yeah, see, to me, yeah, I'm this is before through... we got all, all that uh, legal precedent about non-custodial parents and stuff. Which uh, I think yes. might, might, might be resolved a bit differently with a lot more police cars these days. Oh, today it absolutely would be. Oh my God, there would definitely be a manhunt for this kid, and it would be a completely different movie. You know, it's funny the cl- the classic movie that I was that I thought about at the very end of the film was Kramer versus Kramer, which is <laughs> which is from like off, uh, yeah. five years ago, five years before this film, um, which is a very good film, I think. Um, maybe a bit more judgment in it than it should have because it does kind of cast the mom who leaves as a villain. But the thing that I thought was at the very end when Hunter is is embracing his mom, I thought, I want to meet that kid all grown up and the kid from Kramer versus Kramer all grown up and I want them to have a podcast where they talk about how messed up they got by their parents. (laughs) By their parents, yeah. Because they'd be about our age now. So yeah, I want to I want to hear from them. <laughs> there are parallels there because basically it was the same for the women. You know, in Kramer versus Kramer, she escapes. She escaped because she felt trapped. Um, yeah, which I think is not an uncommon experience for half of humanity, but Definitely it doesn't not. often get talked about. Um, and so she dis- she's much more um, together and professional uh, in Kramer versus Kramer. Oh yeah, oh recall. absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, they're not. The movies are not analogous at all, except in the way that the the, the kids are. You just feel so bad for them, like they're yeah, they're, they're the trauma that around. they've suffered being abandoned by uh, parents is yeah. <laughs> See, I feel you know, even if Hunter goes back to his foster parent. It will be a different relationship again, yeah. and he, he will have to relearn getting into that family as he enters his teenage years, which I'm sure is going to go yeah. swimmingly for the whole family. And, um, and at this point, if he's eight years old, he's old enough now to remember. He's going to have memories of this experience with his dad and his mom, his actual yeah. dad and mom, whereas before he barely remembered because he was too young when, when he was given to the aunt and uncle. So then he's got this, well, I suppose he would have always had these fantasy parents to fall back on if it wasn't going well with it. But yeah, it felt, yeah, yeah, it felt like not really a win for Hunter. I I don't know whether it was a win for Natasha Kinski. I mean, she certainly, uh, so Jane, she's clearly cares deeply for her son. um, But to me, I suppose it was a story of two parents who realised that they were not suitable people to be parents. And Hunter ended up with two people who were suitable to be parents. And to have that 
destroyed by the, you know the mystery man of the film i felt uh, uh, that's why i didn't like it because i felt I what, what kind of a win have we had here why is he looking so he he then disappears off into the desert only not tragically this time he looks kind of smug about it <laughs> and that's I, true. I felt uh, i felt that mm, it didn't resonate well with me well the, um, the, way, yeah. the way i saw that is he's come out because he feels he has to do this thing correctly mm. or otherwise and he has now done the thing that he felt he had to do and he can now you know that, that, that responsibility Tijuana, is taken yeah. care of and he can go off and do what he what he was doing. Actually, I'm not sure that's true, that okay. he he left the desert because he thought he had to do this thing. Because he kept, he the brother comes to get him, but he keeps running away. He true, ran away from true. the little clinic before the brother showed up and then yeah. he ran away when the brother, if the brother hadn't kept dragging him back, he might have just, just kept wandering. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. So, yeah, I, which I, is, I felt... you know, not to blame the brother. Obviously, he wants to know what the hell has gone on and what's going on with the brother but i just feel like yeah i don't know what his i i think the only reason we saw him coming out of the desert was because he ran out of water Maybe. <laughs> well i yeah, mean that so... was it and then he pa- he passes out in that little that little store mm. so if he hadn't done that if he had just taken some ice and left that would have been the end of the movie <laughs> He that would have been a short, <laughs> a short student film yeah. at that point. Yeah. I, I, to me, it felt like he'd deconstructed himself to the point where all he had left was kind of running, and he, he didn't know why, and then he relearned why. Uh, yeah. But then I, I didn't really know where it was going. I don't know what ending I would have found satisfactory, honestly, because I enjoyed... I mean, I feel like um, I be me. I, I enjoyed the whole film. I really did, until the ending, where I sort of thought... Oh, is that what he's done? That's, I, I'm not I'm not sure I feel comfortable with that. Yeah, there, there was one bit of cinematography I felt was just trying too hard. Um, that that uh, reflected shot where his face is superimposed over hers. May, yeah. may, um, maybe it was you know startling and interesting at the time, but it feels to me cheap. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's just, just me having seen you know the. the goodness 40 odd years worth of film since then it just feels really obvious too like they're trying to you know make this sort of connection between them and mm. their acts and it doesn't really quite work though there's another shot too where they're they're sort of the staking the um harry dean stanton and the kid are staking out the bank trying to find jane and yeah. he looks up at a crane on a building and there's an american flag waving on it and that just seemed to really a bit too obvious <laughs> bit on the nose because i kind of i kind of liked some of the there's the bit um when he he first runs away from the brother and the brother finds him on the train tracks and the brother's like, what are you doing? This doesn't go anywhere. What's the point? And I sort of was like, all right, they're saying something about America and how it doesn't go anywhere or just a big open spaces or whatever. And you could sort of see the same thing happening with L.A. as well. Yeah. But then ah, that kind of petered out too, I thought. Yeah, Which that's another shame. one of the things that don't quite touches on but doesn't quite land and i don't know if that's just to let us think about it but yeah they almost felt like undeveloped and i kind of it's always interesting to see movies about the united states made by non-americans because Mm. then you get this outsider's view particularly when american movies dominate you know a global pop culture it's really good to see that from another perspective and well, I my favorite of... example of that being Robocop, because maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, I mean, a good recent example is Chloe Zhao's, um, uh, the movie about the, was it just called Rider? Was it the one that just won the, <laughs> the one about the bull rider from uh, a year or two ago, which was Oh, yes, beautiful. yes. Uh, it's just called Rider, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is terrific. Uh, but yeah, Robocop is another good one. Yeah, but then I felt like there was some of that in the beginning, and then that kind of disappeared as well. Mm. So, and it's really interesting because, of course, Vin Vendors is German, but it's written by Sam Shepard, who could not possibly be more it, it American the most as American a writer. Person on yeah, the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were a couple of shots. I, it's always hard to say because if the filmmaker is basically slapping you in the face with "Here is my obvious message." And then they do something subtle. It's sometimes a little hard to say. Was that actually a deliberate bit, or you know, yeah, was it just happen by accident? But um, there were a couple of shots when he's uh, walking walking between the booths of the let's call it a peep show, whatever it is, um, <laughs> and then when, when he's sitting in there, that seemed to me at least, having been brought up Catholic, sort of kind of churchy confessional in atmosphere. Mm, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it, I can it, see it's that. that air of solemnity about the whole business. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a strong, I mean, it definitely had a, you know, a strong, uh, brothel vibe. <laughs> but it was, yeah, but it wasn't entirely clear. I mean, I don't know if such places 
exist in well, they, reality. Well, they, they did say that they, they did not try to film a realistic peep show, basically because it had to submit to the demands of the shots they wanted to do. Okay. So, you know, I mean, something specifically like that. Well, it probably does by now because the film's been out. Oh, the Paris, Texas tour. Um, oh, dear. <laughs> the the immersive Paris Texas Texas experience. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so first Shut we'll up. take your bottle of water away. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, oh, dear. I really I did one shot I really liked was when um, he picks the kid up from school once the kid is finally starting to accept him and they go and sit in his new old car under the, all the overpasses of the freeway. That was there was mm. something very sort of oddly beautiful about that. And a perspective yeah. on, on Los Angeles that I don't think I've seen on film before. Also, here, here is this place which, to almost everybody going past it, is just this place I have to drive past. Yeah, And for right. them, it's, for, for him, it's, it's yeah, kind of this is this place moment. and it looks like this and I like it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in fact, there were some nice, I, I thought, I suppose there were almost two road movies in this. There was um, the two brothers on their way back as, as um, Harry Dean Stanton comes out of his fuge or amnesia or whatever and then there's the the kind of road movie of him and his son bonding and yeah. that really worked for me i thought it was really nice to see them mm. refine this relationship from pretty much open hostility the first time they meet on mm. the son's part to you know genuine affection between them uh yeah i, I really like and, and the the thing i'm thinking of that made me think of set pieces was you know when they started walking when he starts walking home with him and they, you know, they mirror each other. I thought mm. it was really touching. And that was like, very sweet. Yeah. yeah. The kid was really great. I really he liked was. him. Yeah. He yeah. wasn't, it's re- child actors are often coaxed, uh, coached to be like really big and broad and not believable kids, but he seemed like a realistic kid. Yeah. I, I gather good. he's got onto a reasonable acting career. I mean, not you know, a huge star or anything, but he's had, had other parts. So good for him. I really like the, the, the first road movie in the film. There were bits in there that reminded me of Midnight Run, which is one of my absolute favorite movies. Mm. The bit where the uh, Harry Dean Stanton, will, he won't fly, he won't get on the plane, so they have <laughs> yeah. to drive to L.A. It's like, oh my God, this is Midnight Run. And now uh, yeah, I wonder that's... if that was a little homage in Midnight Run to Paris, Texas. It could be. Yes. It's only, yeah, it's only was a few only years later. Years Completely oh, different goodness. kinds of films, but... I really, I was like yelling, like, oh my god, it's Midnight Run! <laughs> I like the way that was handled, right? We just get the long shot of the plane and then we're yeah. going to get off again. Oh, yeah, was that? you didn't have yeah. to see the, the cabin machinations. It just, yeah. Um, yeah, it was good. So there was, there was humour. Sorry, I was a bit cruel earlier on saying this wasn't yeah. funny. There, there, were, there were light there bit... touches and it well, wasn't unremittingly grim. Yeah. It was no raging ball, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was also rather struck by the music, uh, in in part because I first met Rai Kuda, um because of the music he did, uh, the previous project he did to this, which was Streets of Fire, which is very different. And, he, and here he's unapologetically um, taking you know, the cla- the classic blues stuff. Yeah. But he's making it work really very well indeed. It, it, it never really obtrudes. I, I was looking up the credits in between bouts of watching it. Oh, right, him. And then I started actively listening. Also, like super, super American rye cooter. Oh, it, it just, yes. it utterly, it's just part of the scenery in the sense that it's so right for it that yeah, it works yeah. perfectly. I mean, it romanticizes Travis, but it would romanticize anybody. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, wow, it's the first time we mentioned his name. <laughs> um, he forgot it for four years. We we're allowed to forget it for a while. Um, yeah, I, so. I don't know if if we were meant to draw too many morals from the film. Ultimately, um, was it uh, so? Sam Shepard wrote it. Who was apparently apparently his, anyway, yeah. uh, or, or, and his motif was kind of anger and regret. And I didn't get a lot of anger from this film. And maybe that was the way it was directed. Well, the the anger is happened. Yeah, yeah. The anger's in the past. Now but, there's just the regret. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I. I mean, I've, it's, a lot of Sam Shepard stuff is really about like exploring specifically American masculinity, and there's mm. certainly a lot of that happening here. Mm. I'm not sure if it's one of his more successful attempts at doing that, you know, just, just from that perspective. But there's like if I didn't know this was written by Sam Shepard, I I might have guessed it. <laughs> right. Okay. He, he does explore this kind of territory a lot. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and as I understand it, it's one one of those um, they didn't actually have a completed script. They tried to film it more or less in order, 
and oh. he was certainly soliciting contributions from the actors. You know, what do you think your character would do in this situation? That kind of thing. Very not, not clear how much of that is in the final cut, but... Right. Oh, I wonder, because, oh. I mean, the monologue, you would have thought the monologue... Um... That sounds like the thing that, like, that's what he started with. Like, I have yeah, this, and I need to build to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah. You would have thought that's what got written for... I, I don't know, it feels... Also, that monologue at the end, I don't know. It's a long monologue. Um, it feels like it should be one of the classic movie speeches, but doesn't it, quite get there for me, and isn't... Yeah. I don't know if it's regarded as that, but it didn't really hit that height for me. And I think partially, as you said, Marianne, it's the disappointment of the kind of... Oh, it's this story. It's just, it's just pretty banal. Yeah. I mean, great performance, but yeah. we've heard the story in many variations many times before. Yeah. And it's, it's not that interesting. <laughs> I, I, I suppose there's a certain amount of, well, at least he recognizes that trying to get her back would be a really stupid thing for everybody involved. Yeah, maybe. And he, and he doesn't try that. And it only took him four years wandering in the desert <laughs> to realize it. Yeah. It made me, it reminded me a bit of um, the Batman origin story. You know, lots of kids have their parents killed. Yeah. Not all of them turn into a bat and fight crime, and it's not really explained <laughs> what the difference is. Well, you well know, do lots... we know what we don't know what Hunter grew up to become? So, uh, well, that's true, mate. Well, that oh, that would be a nice origin story. <laughs> there we go. Now I'm on board. Well, do we? I, I don't know. Are we are petering out. Have we more to say on Paris Texas? Oh, that, that my summary would be what I said at the outset. I, I liked it, but I'm not sure that the message landed for me. And it, I, as you said, Mary, I never quite said the things that I thought. I, 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 I trusted the film. I liked it. And it, it, I felt it slightly betrayed my trust, which is why I disliked yeah. it towards I, the I'm not sorry that I watched it. No. Uh, but it's, I mean, there's a Vim Vendors film called Until the End of the World, which is one of my most favorite movies of all time. And, I was kind of hoping that this was going to live up to make me feel something like that, and it, it didn't at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, although there were certainly echoes. So, Until the End of the World is 90 or 91, I think. So, it's not that long after this. Okay. And certainly visually, there's some, there's a whole bit that's shot in the Australian outback in Until the End of the World. And some of that I saw echoes of, or vice versa, in uh, some of the te the Texas stuff. Like it just like it looks at these landscapes in a way that maybe you hadn't quite seen before. So I, I liked that. I, I would certainly want to watch on the strength of this. I'd definitely be interested in watching more Vin Vendors film. Mm. Um, well, and if you're a geek, I can highly recommend Until the End of the World because it is a science fiction film. Oh, there we go. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. <laughs> the thing that does strike me, I mean, to to overgeneralize horribly. Um, yeah, do it. Standard Hollywood movie is absolutely certain what it wants you to think at any given moment, and especially at the end. And this is not that. And it, it, it's not yeah. trying to make you think a particular thing. And yeah, you know, certainly I, I brought up mostly on American film. Was I'm used to that in film in particular. Yeah. And so I, th I think I think possibly what what I may be having, possibly what some of us are also having, is. Um, it's not forcing me into that. It's asking me to draw my own conclusions. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, it's that's kind of what I was getting at when I was saying that this wasn't really judgmental. Yeah, like it's yeah. not leading us to think about these characters in any particular way. Unfortunately, the way that we are thinking about them are, <laughs> isn't necessarily all that interesting or inspiring, or. I don't know. But, you know, we've been talking about it for 45 minutes We have. Now. I mean, <laughs> you know. for me, if a film induces an emotional response, then it's yeah. a win of some Absolutely. kind. And it, and it certainly did, you know. Um, it, perhaps it wasn't the one. Well, as you say, I guess they're saying you didn't. Uh, that They would probably be happy to hear that, the filmmakers. They that, that That's what they want, is some kind of response to it. And I was invested in the characters. I mean, the, 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 we have very limited characters here, and, and really the, the, the men are the ones that are more drawn as ever. Well, um, yeah, that's usually the case, unfortunately. This is not a Bechdel test troubler, nor indeed have any of our films been so <laughs> far. I think we did have a technical pass with Night of the Living Dead, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that was three lines of dialogue. Uh, I'm aware the Bechdel uh, test is a, a bare minimum for, <laughs> for and, and yet, many movies do not get past mm -hmm. that bare minimum. <laughs> well, there yeah. we are. Um, Paris, Texas. Paris, Texas. 
Well, one thing we do say, we ask ourselves, was this a masterpiece? Was it influential? Mm. And do we agree it was a masterpiece of, of filmmaking? Ooh, I would say not a masterpiece. Maybe close, but not quite. I, I think I would agree. It doesn't quite, at least it's things it was trying to say or trying to do, it doesn't quite uh, uh, land for me in that sense. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's going to linger with me. I, I think some of the visuals will for me. Some of the visuals might, but like if I never watch this movie again, that that won't bother me. <laughs> yes, which is interesting because Local Hero almost said that we watched Local Hero, and I um I had almost exactly the opposite journey with that. I went into that determined to dislike it and think it was yeah. cliched, and it has lingered with me to the point where yeah. I've watched it again since, um, well, just because yeah. I kind of wanted to go back there, which is a bit weird. Yeah, until the end of the world lingers with me, and I think about it all the time, and I've seen it multiple times, and. I wish more movies were like that. But this one is not one of those. <laughs> this one's not one of those. Was it influential, do you think, on future Hollywood? Uh, or future films of any kind? Well, you, you said it's influential on future of inventors, so that's a start. A little well, that's bit. that's something. Yeah. I don't know if that can... Well, I don't, well I, I'm, I'm not sure if we can say if it's influential, or if both films just reflect a certain aesthetic that he has, perhaps. Hmm. Oh, you haven't yeah, really seen know. many films like... I mean, we've seen films that have lingered on... American landscape and a lot of westerns do that now but I, I yeah. don't know that that's particularly it was beautiful but I don't know if it particularly had much more original to say um, yeah mm. uh, yeah I, I'm not sure I've seen another film like Paris Texas or one that's been particularly influenced by it um, but I am probably wrong there but I, I, I don't feel like many, with many of the other films we've done many uh, imitators of front yeah yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think that's the case with this one. No. Sorry, Paris. Sorry, Vim. <laughs> we enjoyed your time with, our time with it. So, um, <laughs> lo- looking at the uh, top ten box office, uh, yeah. <laughs> we, what we... was the top... So, th- is this the top ten box office of the week this was released, or uh, that whole year? No, this, or this, this, the is, year. this is for the year. Okay, so and I be- what's the... I believe it's uh, US only. Okay. Uh, but number ten, we have Splash... Romantic comedy, Aww, Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah. I got, a, I got, a, I, I love Splash. Splash is lovely. Yes. Yeah, never seen it, but never, never mind. Uh, uh, number nine. I almost don't want to watch it again now, but I loved it at the time. <laughs> number nine, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, which really Excellent. was the first well. of them that I saw because, yeah, cinema access. <laughs> I, I liked it. It's no rare. One of the best Trek films. Mm. Oh, oh no, wait, no, oh, no, 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 I th- no, no, no. I take that back. You I'm thinking of, of Star Trek Four. Oh, I'm Star Trek Four is. Yeah. Oh, I love Star Trek Four. <laughs> I completely agree. If you smile, your face won't actually crack. <laughs> uh, number eight, where we we talked about Indiana Jones a couple of episodes ago, and um, was Romancing the Stone. Oh, which, I just oh. rewatched that for the first time. How did in it stand years. up? Years. Um, it has some problematic moments, but mostly it's still a lot of fun. Oh, I yeah, that again. I liked it. Yeah, probably I saw the most the successful again the, a while ago. Indiana Jones inspired films. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At least until Jungle Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't seen Jungle Cruise. Jungle Cruise is fun too. Oh, is it? Well, the yeah, Rock is, is a hard character not to like. Yeah. He... Sorry, I call him a character. He's actually a human person. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> Even when he's playing he somebody who's not very nice, he manages to be sympathetic about it, and that's a he's... real skill. Just, he's got enormous screen presence, which yeah. you can't, you Even can't when he's not that. on screen, like in Moana. He's oh my amazing. god, he's amazing in Moana! <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he sing! I know, who'd have oh, thought, is, who'd have thought The ever. Rock could sing? <laughs> uh, so, uh, number seven, Footloose. Um, oh. Never seen it. Actually. It was hugely popular and I didn't either. It was, I saw it, yep. Okay. <laughs> I like that. I think I'm, uh, like, okay, well, okay. Yeah. Uh, I like Kevin Bacon, so. So, number six, uh, Police Academy. The first one. Goodness me. I hate the Police Academy movies. That, now, that was the height of comedy to me at oh. one time in my life. I'm not, I I'm hate, not ashamed to admit it. I was very I bad. hated those gross out comedies. They just didn't make me laugh. I, I thought the, well, first, I, the first one had one or two things to say. And then after that, they just tried to do it again. They were all, yeah, we've since ended up with faint echoes, even of Police Academy now, which yeah. is a bit of a the, sad the weird state thing of though, to be for in. me, um, just harking back briefly to, to Diner, which was you know, a film we didn't get on with, but a revelation to me, before he did Police Academy, Steve Gutenberg was an actor. He yes, was, yes, he, he could was, actually He tried, he tried, and 
had way more success with Police Academy. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Someone's going to give you a lot more money to yeah. to mug. The Police Academy movies were hugely successful. So they, were, they you know? are still talking about a remake, uh, or oh, not uh, not a remake, a, a Police Academy Seven or yeah. wherever else. They did now. a Seven. I've, I've, I've seen it. Oh goodness, that's about uh, all I remember then. about it. <laughs> Uh, no, at number five, we have the Karate Kid. I've uh, actually yeah. never seen that. Uh, yeah. I've seen, yeah, it's... I saw the remake, but I have never seen the original. <laughs> I I like it, but it was at a time when you know I like that sort of. Film. It seems to have been formative for an awful lot of people who did see it. But yeah, I, I, that's yeah. what I missed. Number four, Gremlins. Which excellent oh, film. I showed my under. kids Gremlins. Um, yes. I forgot how terrifying it is. As he said, it's really like, scary. Four-year-old and seven-year-old. It was actually it was fine. They were enjoying it until the closing monologue when he says that um, it might be a leaky pipe or there might just be a gremlin in your house. And they were like, "Oh my god, there might be a gremlin in there." I was. I mean, I was a teenager this year, and I, I absolutely loved that movie. I went to the movies all the time and loved anything that was remotely geeky and Gremlins was right up there. It was so I, good. I didn't realise it was until much later in my life I didn't realise it was a heavy parody of It's a Wonderful Life um, which <gasps> I since what and now <laughs> That has never occurred to me oh my god you're <laughs> right. I, it's only just come back to it's like if you watch it it's basically Bedford Falls from It's a Wonderful Life only they get attacked by gremlins. It's great. Hate, it's great in that it, context. I hate It's a Wonderful Life so that's I'm gonna watch There you go then it's a perfect <laughs> uh, Number three Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom Ooh, the problematic one. The worst indie movie until... Until the Kingdom last. of the Crystal Skulls. Yeah. Until yeah. the one they're filming now. Sorry, we shouldn't prejudge. But it was still Indiana Jones, and I loved it. Mm. I loved it and at the time. Had, it's a hard We had not yet now. seen Last Crusade, so... It was more indie. That's all that mattered. Yeah. Uh, Last Crusade. Roger, you're not a fan of Last Crusade. Are um, you? I don't remember uh, it well. That's the thing. I mean, I, I, saw, I saw it in the cinema. I remember sort of vaguely enjoying it at the time and thinking, oh, well, fair enough. Oh and, my god! I do. Oh, I've seen that a hundred times. But it's it's clearly is... going to have to go on my list of things to. It is like Raiders turned up a notch, but it's, it, it's... it hits all the right. Oh, it's it's, it's it sounds like blasphemy, but it's almost better than Raiders. Whereas I... Temple of Doom had had a bunch of stuff that was cut from Raiders, like the whole minecart thing was originally going to be in Raiders. Yeah, so... I loved it. I remember writing a parody of it when I was because I was in uh, school. That's it. But um, oh, I love Temple of Doom. I'm not sure I'd even want to watch it again now. I, so, so, I, I yeah. watched it again recently. I watched all the indie movies again recently, and it's fine, you know, because it's indie. But yeah. it does not hold a candle to Raiders or Last Crusade. How did no. you did you rewatch the fourth film then? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> just the first I, three. Oh, you I just, thought that... they all turned up on Amazon Prime. So, oh, that's right. That's how I got watched Raiders for this route. In fact, Raiders yeah. is the only film we've watched that has a film, a sequel currently in development. Mm. <laughs> I'm I will sure go see will the be. new indie movie. Yeah, it probably know, won't be great, yeah. but I'm going to go see it. They won't. They can't stop me. I did. <laughs> indie four was not the Star Wars prequels. It, it wasn't the. I suppose a lot of people think. Well, I thought it was half yeah. a good film. It was okay. Yeah. It had Kate Blanchett I in it. I haven't mean, got around to it. Yeah. So. It also had. Um, uh, and Harrison Hadoop. Ford is still really hot. I'm sorry, but <laughs> well, we'll see how he looks ten years older than that. <laughs> yeah. he, he still but looks I, good. I'm like, I remember actually one of the, this is tells you a little about my formative youth. Is that one of the things that brought home the reality of death to me was that Harrison Ford would one day die, and that made oh, me very no. sad. Oh my God. Well, this is this is how much Harrison Ford has been an influence on me. I have a fetish for thigh holsters because of Han Solo and Indiana Jones. <laughs> that, that, well, I think we all do. So there we go. So uh, thinking of uh, geeky and influential films, number two, Ghostbusters. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Now yes. we were wondering about that for one of Absolutely. our Absolutely brilliant film. Definitely. I have a different I'm idea. Rewatch sometime soon. I, I actually I half enjoyed the well. 2016 remake. And I, liked the, I liked the remake. I loved the characters and I hated the script and I don't yeah, usually that's... feel that much of a dissonance in a film. Yeah. I think that's the a good had... point, yeah. The, well, the... Also, Kate McKinnon is my comedian crush, but I think that's probably true for almost anybody. Well, so. I think that's true for everyone who's seen her. Yeah. Uh, it would be really nice to see the director's cut of that because I think that is going to be mm. amazing if we ever see that. Yeah. We have, of course, sequels to Ghostbusters coming up. Um, we do, indeed. I, that could go either way, I guess. It, but... it looks very kid-focused, but eh. It looks like Stranger Things, the film. But... Stranger Things or, or Goonies, which is oh, Stranger Things is sort of Goonies. Is a riff on Goonies, yeah. I think um, Ghostbusters, I but I think that holds up very well. I don't think it's dated. Go, the first Ghostbusters, yeah, yeah, definitely holds up. It's um, it's very funny. And at number one, Beverly Hills Cop. 
Goodness oh, me, that may not wow. have held up so well. I've not seen that for some time. I, I, I thought have... of it as, you know, it was a success, but I wouldn't have put... If you'd given me those ten films and said which was number one, I would not have guessed this one. I remember that was absolutely huge. It was so big. Maybe it wasn't here in the, in the UK, mm. but in the US it was definitely huge. And Eddie Murphy was so, so popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was like, definitely yeah. a superstar. He was in everything yeah. for a while, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in that... everything. He was on Saturday Night Live, which was huge at the time. Yeah, was really they, these peak. are like, all was... huge blockbusters. If you think yeah. when we started this podcast, we were like at the American New Wave, and these <laughs> films are not American New Wave anymore. I mean, that said, most of the films we did the American New Wave had no bearing on what was actually happening in the box office <laughs> at well, the time. Well, Paris, Texas has has been described by people who know it better than I do as part of the German new wave, uh, Berlin in particular. Well, so. and I would say certainly Paris, Texas has more in common with a lot of those movies from hmm. the 70s, those American movies, movies of the 70s, than it does with any of those you just read off. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, it's notable that it you know reminded me of Badlands more than anything else, which is one of our first films. For the well, podcast. and I think probably the fact that so much of the American pop culture was dominated by these huge blockbusters, starting with Star Wars, but way more so in the 80s, mm. that there was a little bit of a, I wouldn't call it a backlash, but there was definitely an appetite for smaller art house films like Paris, Texas. I'm sure Paris, Texas did okay at the box office. This is purely a guess on my part, but just because there would have been all these grownups who were like, I don't want to see another Star War. I want to see yeah. something that's about, you know, adults mm. and, you know, the real world. I suppose that feels a bit like where we are now with films. I like yeah. superhero films, I suppose, but I, even yeah. I am getting a bit tired of well, some of them. I like oh, them too, but I like other films as well. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want yeah. to just see that. Oh, oh, well, that, that was top ten list. Only two of them are actual sequels, but one, two, three, four, five... How many uh, of them spawn sequels? <laughs> uh, five, five others. So, yeah. Well, yeah, they're all. Fr- I mean, they're all big. These were the beginning all... of the franchises in the eighties. Mm. Yeah, the most part. they're yeah. also um, they're all films that we uh, we've all, because of our ages, I guess, that we all pretty much saw um, at the time, or at least were well aware of them. Whereas when we were yeah. doing this, the new wave stuff, there was there was less of that happening for me. Yeah, a lot of this... these are titles I've heard of, but I've never known anything about the film. Mm. Well, part of the point of this podcast for me was that I wanted to do, I wanted to watch films that I knew were great that just passed me by. Um, which, so I'm very glad Paris, Texas, uh, was very good. I didn't know about great, but it's very good, and I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, so. me too. And look, look at the Academy Awards. Um, Amadeus swept most of them. Oh, I've never seen Amadeus. Amadeus is good. Mm, I'd yeah. like to. I did wonder about. I don't, that didn't come up for 1984. I might have suggested it, but yeah. another another time round. <laughs> well, there we are. I think we may be uh, wrapping up this podcast. I think it's time for us to slap on the Factor 50 and wander <laughs> out into the desert, having wrecked the lives of our listeners. <laughs> um, thank you, Marianne. Uh, that was extremely good fun. Oh, um, thank you for inviting me on. It was absolutely delightful. You're very welcome. And thank you, Roger, though that's taken his rope. Yeah, yeah, I'll fix it in the edit. <laughs> <laughs>